the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Browning. Hey, it's Matt Browning. Welcome to another episode of The Pod. I'm excited today because I interview a real role model of a man, a man with a never-give-up attitude, a four-time Olympian, and a motivational speaker who has spoken for 100 of the Fortune 500 companies in the U.S., I met Ruben Gonzalez through my friend Larry Broughton, who was just on the pod. He also, of course, wrote the foreword for my new book. And I asked Ruben, I gave him a copy of my book when I interviewed him, and I asked him if he would be willing to endorse it. He replied with a resounding yes. Uh, Here's what Ruben said about the Firebox Principle book coming out next week, and this is why I thought it would be really timely to have an interview with Ruben. He said, Matt's ability to understand patterns and really dig into the forces that shape great visionaries is amazing. We all should start thinking like this. So Ruben, my brother, you made the cover. This is awesome. Uh, He's actually, uh, when he sent that in, he was the first official endorsement to make the cover of the book. Um, So we're working on the front or the back cover, but I love having an endorsement of a four-time Olympian and longtime motivational speaker. I sure appreciate you, brother. Um, So let's talk about Ruben and get into the interview. 1983, he was a bench warmer for his college soccer team. No athletic prowess whatsoever. He started training for the Olympics at 21, and four years later, he competes for the first time. Now he's a four-time Olympian, and he's competing for a record. He already is the first, uh, the first Winter Olympian in history to compete in four different decades. He competed in the 90s, the 2000s. No, I'm sorry, the 80s. Was it the 80s? Yeah, it was. It was 88. 92, 2002, and then 2008. And he's shooting to do it again. He's, com- he's looking to compete in the 2018 Olympics and even the two, uh, 2022. Pretty cool. So he did two back-to-back. He had a 10-year hiatus, which I find really fascinating. He thought he was going to be done, and we'll talk about that in the interview, uh, from 92 to 2002. After 10 years, he decides to put it back on, put on the uniform, and get back into it. And it's incredible to hear his story of how and why he did that. We talk about Ruben growing up. We talk about uh, his family and what they were like, uh, whether they were encouraging or not, whether they believed in him or not. Um, I find family is always so fascinating on the road to success. He also started speaking full-time in 2002. And he wrote the next year his best-selling book, The Courage to Succeed. So I bought The Courage to Succeed on Amazon, uh, downloaded it right to my phone, and read through. And really, actually, as an author and as a speaker, there's a lot of books that come our way, as as you can imagine. I really genuinely enjoyed Ruben's book. There's a lot of great insight and a lot of great, like, uh, one- and two-liners, you know, those, those bumper sticker moments when you just, you want to write it on a whole page, as my mentor Clint Arthur says. Write it on a whole page when you get that one line that's going to change your life. So don't hide it in the middle of notes. Write it on a whole page. Uh, so there's a lot of that that came from Ruben's book. And again, I enjoyed that. It tells a lot about his story, about his travels. He's done some cool stuff too. So he was in Greg Reed's movie, Pass It On. That that was a movie that Greg Reed and, and, uh, and a partner, I think, produced a little bit, a little bit before... Uh, a little bit before we did The Journey with Brian Tracy and Bob Proctor, that was the movie that I was in. Um, and I remember Pass It On. I remember when Greg Reed did the uh, premiere for Pass It On. He's also ran with the Bulls in Spain. He's climbed Kilimanjaro. 
And this is just the beginning. He's always doing crazy stuff, and he's still competing. This is what's so great. Right now, uh, he's planning on, on competing at 55 years old in the Winter Olympics, and his plan is to compete in 2022 at Beijing. And if he does that, he will become the oldest Winter Olympian in history at 59 years old. So get excited, strap in, and get ready for a really, really fun interview with my friend Ruben Gonzalez. So I am finally uh, here. We had some difficulty this morning to connect, but I am so, so glad uh, that we still have the chance to do this. Um, we had a great chat uh, a few weeks ago, I think. We introduced yeah. by a mutual friend, Larry Broughton, who's uh, he's actually writing the forward for my book. Um, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal human being. So anyone that came from Larry, I know is amazing. And I had no idea how amazing uh, until we had a chance to, to talk. So I'm so blessed and excited to have you on, Mr. Ruben Gonzalez. How are you, buddy? Great. How are you, Matt? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so good. I'm so good. And uh, I want to get right into it. I am, I'm super, super excited to, um, to get into that brain of yours and, and hear some of your stories, uh, everything from, from the Olympics to growing up, just all that stuff. Um, curious, though. So, so I, I've been reading through your book in the last couple of days, The Courage to Succeed. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I picked up all your books because why wouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, but the Courage succeed, succeed is that the most recent one or was that the no, first one? That was actually my first one, and it's, was, it's uh, more of my story, right? Uh, the first, yeah. the first fifty pages are the story. Oh, that's so good, and <laughs> and I love that you know all throughout the book you um you you talk about all these different amazing lessons, and it's shocking to me because I, like I'm a storyteller by nature too, mm-hmm. and so many people can either teach or they have stories, but you really honed in on lessons. Uh, and then you found great stories to go along with that. Um, and, and so we'll get into a few of those for sure from the book. Um, major keynote speaker. I'm thoroughly impressed with you. Uh, everyone, anyone listening or watching this knows I speak a lot. Um, but we have a different kind of speaking. I do a lot of platform speaking. You do a lot of keynote speaking, which means 100 of the Fortune 500 companies at this point, right? have brought you in, paid you, and said, please speak to our people to motivate them, encourage them, uh, teach them. What is it? What, I'll, I'll get to some of the earlier stuff in a second, but what does that feel like to, to, to think back and think, I've been brought into 100 different of the top 500 companies in America, and they pay me to do this. And like, you're not really a corporate guy, right? But like, you no, no, I'm highly unemployable. I've had about 20 jobs, and now all these people are hiring me <laughs> to speak I said the same thing. I'm very, like, my resume is terrible. Cut that out of the, <laughs> out of the podcast. I <laughs> know, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, it's humbling. It's humbling, uh, especially for somebody like me. I, I pinch myself. I mean, I am black and blue because uh, my whole life is like a God thing. I mean, things kind of fall into place. I take a lot of action, but it works, right? Yeah. So I guess through my speaking, I try to take people's excuses away. Mm-hmm. I want them walking out thinking, if that guy can go to the Olympics, we can do anything. And then they start <laughs> calling their chicken list and they start making some sales for a change. So, um, so that's, that's my goal. Give them hope. Yeah, and, and, <clears throat> and truly, it, it, it's, it's something to me very remarkable when, um, like, meeting you instantly, I thought, man, this is someone who's accomplished so much, but really you have no ego about it, no, like, overinflated pride. You're one of the most humble guys I've met, um, especially in the re- arena who's, who's accomplished a lot. Um, is there any, is that just, have you always sort of been that way just because, eh, yeah, I'm just me, I'm Ruben, what's the big deal? Or is that something that as you started gaining more success, you had to actually focus on, if that makes sense? No, not at all. I'm just, I'm just being myself. Uh, I'm lazy. That's what it is. <laughs> Rather than try to be somebody I'm not, it's easier just to be me. <laughs> and so 
when I speak from stage, it's pretty much like this. It's a conversation. I'm speaking from the heart. And people like that because they're so tired of hearing these, you know, these canned speeches from perfect plastic looking people. Sure. And, uh, I'm, uh, I've realized that when they introduce you as an Olympic athlete, people tend to put you up on a pedestal and I'm no good to them up there. And so the whole time I'm working hard to uh, make them realize, I used a lot of self-deprecating humor to make them realize that, hey, I was the last kid picked for PE. I'm like your neighbor, okay? I'm like Opie Taylor, got to go to the Olympics. Right. And I work hard, and that way that they see that I'm like them, and then that makes them think, wow, maybe I can do some things too, right? And then I, and then I pull them up, right? I, I love what you just said, though, uh, that, that resonated so true that, you know, people put me on a pedestal when they hear maybe what I've accomplished, but I'm no good to them up there. Yeah. Love that. What a servant's heart. That's really cool. Now you, uh, I just want to switch gears just a little bit. Uh, I think I find it very interesting. You, uh, in your book, you said, well, your dad, I'm, I'm sure has been, um, I don't know what you'd call it an inspiration or he's been teaching he, he's dad, right? Yeah. Were you, were you close with your dad growing up? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty close. Uh, he was always very supportive. Uh, my dad was a chemical engineer with Exxon. Uh, my yeah. mom was, uh, uh, a housewife. Uh, she actually worked in the school cafeteria for about 11 years, but basically she was home. And, uh, and he was super supportive. I mean, just to give you an idea, I played soccer in Houston, Texas, and it's super hot there and humid. It's brutal. I played for my university, uh, but I was a bench warmer. Coach said, you get to play when we're winning by two goals because you're a threat to our own team. That's what he said, right? <laughs> and so my dad would, didn't miss a single game. Sometimes he would go for, to the practices and he's sitting there just himself, just him, and that empty bleacher watching me. And wow, I just watching you on the bench. Yeah, uh, and watching me on the bench. That's right, just to be there. Wow. And that means a lot. Oh, it's got to. And, and understanding too, so you grew up early on in, is it Campania, Campana, Argentina? Campana. Campana. Well, yeah. And, and it looks like uh, you came over with your family, what, about six years old? Was yeah, that I was six years old. My dad was a uh, Campana. It was just a little oil town, uh, old yeah. refinery town, like a stinky place. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, about 50 miles outside of Buenos Aires, which is the New York City of Argentina. Wow. Do, do you have a lot of memories in Argentina? What, what was the, the, the biggest difference, if you have any? The culture, was it a culture shock or... Um, well, what was that like? Because I've never imagined moving countries as a young boy. Oh, wow. I grew up in the same house since I was uh, nine months old to 18. Oh, wow. like my parents, oh, they're still there today. We never moved. Uh, I've moved oh, around since business, We moved a lot. But uh, we, we always would go back because my, my grandparents on both sides and the rest of the family were still there. We're the only ones that emigrated. And so every couple of years, you know, we'd go back. I don't know how my dad, you know, how he saved up the money because it's cheap to, not cheap to fly over there, but we'd spend a month. We'd spend a month in Argentina. And the last time I did that was probably around 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And then I went again about 25 years ago. So I was about 30. Wow. And so I'm waiting to get a gig from there and phone's not ringing. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, a 10 hour plane ride. I, I just, you know, unless somebody's paying for it, I'm not. I'm not yeah. Maybe, maybe a little bit of first class and yeah, it's very European country. If I dropped you in Buenos Aires, you'd swear you're in Paris. Uh, same architecture, mm. uh, same customs, uh, very homogeneous. I mean, it's like living in Minnesota, right? Um, so Minnesota meets Paris. Kind of, yeah. But, but I'm saying it's all European, right? It's like yeah. Southern European. It's like all, everybody's either from half Spain and half Italy. And throwing a little French and English, but that's, that's it. Sure. And so, 
anyway, so it's, it's a cool place. It's a really cool place. Nice. Well, hopefully you get to, to get back there at some point. Yeah. Um, so you moved, did you move right into Houston or did you end up in, in New York? Cause you've been all um, around the U S yeah, we were in Queens, New York for a couple of years. Yeah. And then uh, we moved to Houston and we were in Venezuela for a few years. That's a, that was, that's a big oil country. Okay. Uh, Came back to Houston and pretty much lived most of my life, over 30 years in Houston. And about 10 years ago, a little bit less than 10 years ago, I just couldn't stand the heat anymore. We moved to Colorado Springs and uh, we're in heaven. This is heaven compared to Houston. <laughs> yeah. When uh, we were catching up uh, the first time, you know, you're talking about Colorado Springs. And man, I, I love it there. I helped a, a buddy move out to Colorado Springs. He was from Manitou. Oh. And, uh, helped him move. It was uh, several years ago, but I lived in Boulder for a little while. So uh, definitely love Colorado. Climbed all over there. Uh, Garden of the Gods, you know, like all yeah. right next to you. Yeah, yeah. So you've been to the top of Kissing Camels, I'm sure? Yes, Kissing Camels, yep. Yeah, yeah I hired a guy. I'm not a climber at all, right? but I hired a, a, a guy to take me up and more importantly, bring me back down, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was say, cool. yeah, as a climber, you always say, you know, the, uh, the, the goal is not the top of the mountain. The goal is safe back home in the car on the way to go get pizza and beer or whatever mm -hmm. you're going to do. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So you, um, man, that's so cool. So I want to come back to Colorado um, in a second. But you said uh, in your book, you were 10 years old and you were watching the 1972 Winter Olympics. Was it Winter Olympics? Yeah, it was the Winter Olympics. Right, the Winter Olympics. And, and, uh, and that was the moment, I don't want to <laughs> let you talk about it, but that was the moment when you saw the Olympics for the first time and thought, like, I want to do that. What, what's that like as a 10-year-old boy? Um, what was the experience? And how certain were you? Like, did you just say, I have a dream? Or were you like, oh, this is already done? Like, what was that 10-year-old mentality like? Sure. I, I, um, I love to read books, uh, mm -hmm. even as a little kid. And uh, Jules Verne's books, uh, you know, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, sure. or 80 Days. I mean, I had them all, right, in Spanish. But then I started getting them in English, and that's basically how I learned how to speak English. And they were all stories about kids that lived adventurous lives. Sure. And I was always looking for the adventure, right? I, want, I wanted to be like a book, like that book. And so when I saw the Olympics, I, I'm sitting on the sofa with my younger brother, Marcelo. We're watching some guys flying down the mountain on skis. I said, man, that's, that's my dream. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be in the Olympics. And, uh, but it was a pipe dream because I was a slow poke and I wasn't a great athlete. Uh, I got a lot of heart, but no body, right? And so, uh, so I had the desire, right? But I didn't believe it was possible because if I'm not getting picked to play, you know, kickball, how am I going to be in the Olympics? Sure. So I didn't do anything. And for, for two years, I just talked about it and became an Olympic expert. And then my dad. And is this at 10 years old? Like, yeah, at 10. At 10, 10 I was hooked. That was like fourth grade. Uh, what is that? Yeah, something like that. So, and, so all and, through elementary school, you're like, I'm going to be an Olympian. This is what I love. Yeah, and I, was, uh, I guess I fell in love with everything Olympics. And I, I would read about it. And, and if, if there's anything on Olympics on TV, I mean, I was on it, right? I'd go to the library, get all the Olympic books. And I, I knew everything. I was an Olympic expert, but I was really an Olympic groupie, okay? Because I didn't take action. There was no belief. And my dad mm -hmm. got tired of me talking the talk and not walking the walk. And he said, Ruben, why don't you read some biographies? You know, if you'll study the lives of great people, you'll figure out what works and what doesn't work in life because success leaves clues. Yeah. Thought, That's pretty good. I mean, I don't have to make all the mistakes by myself. I can learn from somebody else. And so I started reading them and I realized right away that these are true life adventure stories. They're just like the other books I used to read. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking, well, what's one thing all these people have in common, right? Maybe I can work on one thing. 
and it was uh, perseverance. I mean, these people, they're just a bunch of hardheads. They refused to quit. They were tenacious. Sometimes, you know, 20 years are banging their head on the wall trying to figure out how to make their dream come true, but they didn't quit. So they figured big- out on their own or, or they found a coach or a mentor that showed them the ropes. Yeah. So one of the, one of the biggest patterns you found when you're looking at these different biographies of Olympians was truly like that, the perseverance, the stick to Yeah. Would that be, would that be probably like, I know there's several qualities. Would that be like the top quality? I mean, if you could only have one. Yeah. Right? I think that. I'm going to go I back would, to the yeah. Olympics. Is yeah. that the and work ethic, right? Work ethic. You have to outwork the competition. You're your own, you're your own worst competition. How much are you willing to do? Right. Which can really go hand in hand, right? Like, yeah. With that, yeah. Like if you have severe perseverance or a bad case of perseverance, um, you're going to outwork everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's the thing, you know? And so I started, I made a decision as a, as a fifth grader, I'm 12 years old now, I made a decision, Hey, quitting, you know, is the end of your dream. Right. And, mm-hmm. and perseverance is it's no guarantee, but at least you got a shot. It's a no brainer from today on Ruben doesn't quit anything. I made a decision that day. Right. And, wow. and, uh, cause I realized it was just, it's just a decision, right? It's like, I'm not going to quit anymore. It's like when Rocky gets knocked down, you know, and finally he says, I ain't going down no more. And they play the music and you know, something big's going to happen. Right. It was a moment like that. And so, um, fast forward a few years, I'm walking out of the library in high school. One day, this kid walks up to me, he goes, Hey, what's your nickname? I mean, well, you know what your nickname needs to be? And I said, no, what? He goes, Bulldog. I said, what? He goes, yeah, bulldogs are tenacious. I mean, bulldogs wrestle hold your leg. You're not going to let go. Let go, yeah. Right. I thought, hmm, I didn't know that. So I turned around and went back in the library, got me a book about bulldogs. I to make sure of it checked out. And it did, right? And so from then on in high school, I would, when I met somebody, I said, hey, Matt, my name's Ruben, but my nickname's Bulldog, okay? And so I didn't even know I was doing this, but I'm creating positive peer pressure, becoming even more perseverant because now, you know, Sure. I'm, I'm laying it out. I'm, I'm putting it on, you know, for everybody to see. I have to and live now, up to it. And yeah, now and now people expect that. They're, oh yeah, Ruben, he's a bulldog. Yeah, yeah. So they're now I'm stuck. <laughs> wow, that's so, amazing. So it wasn't until I was 21. Oh, so uh, reading those biographies led to discovering personal development. Right, how to win friends and influence people. Our thinking big. Uh, uh, all the books that both of us have read. Uh, sure, sure. As a man thinketh. Classics. As a man yeah. thinketh. All those. And, um, and that was great because it was like many biographies in one. It was, you're getting so many more nuggets in, in just one. And so I became a personal development junkie. I just loved it. And I wanted to know what makes people tick and, and uh, how do you become successful, right? What, what, what are they doing differently? And uh, so I, I started, and, and my dad said it was the books you read and the people you hang around with. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, you want to hang around winners, hang around people you respect, right? People that are already doing what you want to do right? And following their footsteps. You just do that, man, you'll be ahead of 90% of the people. And so I always made sure to hang around winners, right? Not whiners, winners, right? And, and this associate from, from the people that are complaining and making excuses and not doing anything with life, mm-hmm. right? Once in a while, you do go back to that group because there's somebody saying, get me out of here. He goes, oh, you got to meet my friends, man. Get out of here. I'm going to show you. And then yeah, you they really want to come with you, though. Yeah, right. But you spend 90% of your time where you're feeding, right? Where you're drawing that energy. And so that I was growing. When I was 21, I'm watching the Sarajevo Winter Olympics on TV, the 1984 Sarajevo Games. I'm a bench warmer at Houston Baptist University, 21 years old. Right, and still playing soccer in college, right? Yeah, or, or watching everybody else play. I don't think sure. I ever had to wash my uniform once. But, 
But, but I saw Scott Hamilton win the gold medal in figure right. skating. Right? He's like five feet tall, you know, as a little 18 year old kid. And that's when the thunderbolt struck. That's when I thought to myself, if that little guy can do it, if he can be the champ, I can at least compete. I'm going to be in next Olympics no matter what. It's a done deal. I just got to find a sport. <laughs> so, you bull, so you bulldogged your way to that at 1984, right? That's when, and you started competing. Well, I want to get to that in just a second, too. Yes, You're in college doing soccer, dreaming of the Olympics. Um, I, I saw, though, you, have a, you got a, a degree in, in chemistry and a degree in biology. Yeah. That's now, just, pre-med. Uh, in Argentina – Middle-class Argentina. You're, yeah, tell me about that. Either a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or where do we screw up? That's their whole attitude. And I doctor, was the, lawyer, engineer, or a failure. Oh, yeah. And that's <laughs> it. Right? And so they always pushed. Ever since I can remember, I was going to be the doctor. And that's, that's what I wondered. Now, I, I wonder with chemistry, though. Did, uh, uh, well, did, it was pre-med. That was a pre-med. Okay, and gotcha. So, uh, but, gosh, it, uh, my heart wasn't in it. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I figured I'll just do pre-med, keep my parents off my back for four years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, w- w- was your mother but, happy about that? Uh, gosh, as soon as I graduated, I, I got a job at a Mexican restaurant waiting tables. They wanted to kill me, right? But I thought, this is great. This is like having your own little business, right? You take care of your clients. They take care of you. You know, you got kitchen tips. You can, you, can uh, you know, give them away. Uh, I love the entrepreneurial side of that. And I was always thinking about, I want to have my own business. So I uh, went through a bunch of jobs over the years because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Meanwhile, my brother, he, he knew from day one, he wanted to be an architect and he went to architecture school and he's been an art, you know, one job, right? You know, he's been an architect ever since? Yeah, he's an architect. He's the Olympic wow. architect because he competed as well in, in, in uh, Salt Lake City. You haven't gotten yeah. to that chapter yet. Yeah. No, 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 I, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, were you and your brother close? How far apart are you? Uh, three years old. There is he, I'm three years, years older than he is. He's okay. Yeah. And is it just the two of you? Just the two of us. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. And so I assume he, he you guys all came over together. So he was just a little guy when you came. Oh over. yeah. He's like two years old. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Where does he live now? Are you, are he you lives in Houston. And he lives in Houston. He does uh, Houston. Yeah. Builds homes. Well, he actually, you know, he, he designs them. Right. And people in the memorial area in Houston, which is kind of a nice area, uh, whenever they want to remodel their kitchens or HGTV their house, you know, they bring them in, throw it out. <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, Colt, the, coming from your kind of the, the Argentinian culture, did you ever find, you know, again, having a brother so close now, it's funny. So I'm the younger brother. Uh, my brother passed away since then, but he's, oh. uh, he was, he was three years older than me and, and we were far apart as kids, right? But then we got really close afterwards once we became adults and he stopped, you know, teasing me and trying to hold me down with the spitting, you know, loogies and all that. Um, Then we started getting really close. Um, Sometimes I find in in the entrepreneur space, and I know you're a very, very driven guy, obviously, as we can, we can sort out from your stories. Um, Did you ever see, like, is there a pull or a difference between like the value of family um, I find a lot of, a lot of, especially cultural families are very big on like time together, quality time, um, dinners together, that sort of thing. Did you find like, is there a pull or a conflict between like success in America often is like going out on my own. It's very independent, right? Like I'm you get on yeah. planes, you're going to speak, you're doing, you write your books. And then mom and dad or brothers sometimes can be back home going, Hey, what about us? And, yeah. I, and, and I mean this in a positive way, but I'm just curious, yeah. did you ever find, is it, do you ever feel like you had to choose between family or the other? Or do you always find your family's like, go out there and do it, Ruben? Like, no. Uh, does that make sense? You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my, 
my family was the average, it's kind of like a beaver cleaver type thing where they're all, mm -hmm. except my mom didn't wear pearls, right? To wash the dishes. <laughs> sure. I don't think she had pearls, but uh, anyways, uh, yeah, we always ate dinner together, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, oh, had all our meals together, did stuff together. But then when I started doing the luge thing, I, it's like, I, I kind of broke off, right? I mean, for one, yeah. for a seven year period, I missed seven Christmases in a row because I was out in Europe or in Lake Placid or somewhere and it didn't make sense to come home for a couple of days because I couldn't afford it, right? And then, and then go back to training. So I just, right. everybody else would go and I just find a place to stay and, you know, save money. So, but I didn't, I never even uh, felt that it was a sacrifice, right? Because I was yeah. chasing the dream. Uh, they might have felt differently, right? Sure. But, uh, uh, and then uh, my brother uh, were totally different. I mean, I'm, I'm strung very tight and he's very, very relaxed guy. I mean, sure, very, yeah. And, um, but he, you know, he did well in the luge as well. But then afterwards he got it out of his system. Yeah, it's like a drug. It's like, I got to, uh, it's funny. I have this, this weird cycle. I, I did the, the Alberville, I mean, the Calgary Olympics in 88. Then I did Alberville right after that. Mm -hmm. Then I quit. And then seven years later, I got the itch again. I got the seven-year itch, but mine's a little different, right? <laughs> I started training again and, and made uh, the Salt Lake City Olympics. And I brought him in, right? I talked him into it, and, you know, and he started training, and he learned it, and he, we both cracked into the top 50 in the world, which was the cutoff point then. And he had never, he'd never lose before. Right. So five years before, he started learning. He broke a few bones, too, just like I did. Paid the price, but he kept coming back. You know, a lot of bulldogs in our, in our house. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, then I quit again for six years, and then I got the bug again. I started training, and I made the Vancouver. And then uh, I quit again. I'm like the Brett Farb of luge, for Pete's sake. <laughs> uh, seven years after, after the 20, uh, 2010, that was Vancouver. Well, last yeah. year, I went back uh, to Calgary. I took a yeah. few runs. I just wanted to see, hey, can this old body handle it, right? I'm 55, and I'm sliding better than ever. I'm mentally tougher, right? Um, and so I'm, I'm making a run for Beijing now. If I make Beijing, when I make Beijing, sorry, messed up there. When I make Beijing. That's uh, 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. 2022. Yeah. Uh, I'll be 59 and I'll be the oldest uh, person to ever compete in the Winter Olympics ever. I mean, the record now is some 58-year-old Swedish guy uh, that did it for Sweden uh, uh, in curling back in 1924. In curling. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a long time, right? But you know, I, I truly believe that my record is not going to last long because I think that with modern training methods and, and you know, good nutrition and everything, there's going to be a lot of good athletes out there going to say, hey, if I can do it, I can too. It'll, it'll kind of shake them out of the woodwork. And I kind of hope it happens. I don't want it to be another 70 years before somebody does it. I want it to be wow. like, next time, right? I want to inspire some people. I think that's, I think that's more important than the record. Yeah, I mean, you know, with, with technology and science, the way it's going and stem cells, we're going to be, you know, not only living to be 100, but but also uh, so many sports too. You know, you look at baseball players, football players, professional wrestlers. I'm a big professional wrestling fan. I always bring it up on every podcast. But those guys and girls, they put their bodies through the ringer. Like they're taking bumps and jumping and falling down on their back every night for 20 yeah, years. Brutal. Yeah. So it's usual to retire by 40. There's no way, like if you're 38, 40 years old, you're the oldest person like out there. Yeah, by far. Right? And 45, yeah, like, forget about it. Yeah. Um, wow. But you know so, what? I, it's funny. I learned. I used to have all these neck problems and these back problems when I 
uh, when I started losing, because you're pulling six G's on some of those curves, and if you're not doing it right, you know, it takes a toll. And six G's. Yeah. You've been up to like, what, 90 miles an hour? Yeah, my, most tracks are 75, 80. But uh, when we went to Whistler, which is the track they use in, for the Vancouver Olympics, mm -hmm. uh, they said, matter-of-factly, they said, oh, by the, by the way, all right? You know, whenever they say, by the way, something bad's coming. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, uh, the engineers messed up. Uh, it's 95 miles an hour. Right. Thanks. 95. 95. It was, it was nuts. And, so, and is this right? I was reading the book, like you're going five stories high. Cause we haven't talked about lose yet. We should probably mention that. 50 stories high. Oh, 50 stories high. Yeah. I, I, I dropped yeah, way up there. This is on top of a, of a hill, right? Up. You're going 50 stories high, 80, 90 miles an hour going down a hill. So you, you were joking. Um, uh, I think one of your videos, you said, you know, when you're up on talking to some of the companies you'll speak to, you say, now I'm a loser. Loser, not a loser. You're a loser. I <laughs> yeah. I'm a born loser. That's what I am. <laughs> probably, yeah, I laughed out loud, man. Uh, so describe for listeners, like what, what exactly is luge just in case yeah, sure. uh, we haven't even talked about it yet. So what, what is luge and how is it a sport? Like what's the deal? Yeah, sure. A lot um, of us just imagine like it's, it's sledding downhill and it's not that big of a deal, but it's a huge. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, if you've seen cool runnings, right? The Jamaican boss letters, right? Classic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's uh that's the bobsled, right? We go on the same track, but we're laying down on a little bitty sled. We're going feet first, laying on the sled. We're wearing a spandex suit and a helmet. And uh, yeah, the helmet is just for decoration because it doesn't have crash. It just makes <laughs> the world. miles an hour on hard ice. <laughs> yeah. And you're flying. I mean, and it's, um, it's funny how they always talk about, and you take a run and each run takes about a minute. And in the Olympics, you take four runs, two runs one day and two runs the next day. And it's cumulative, right? So you can break the track record, but crash at the end and blow it. You have to be consistently good. Okay, good is not good enough. Now, when right? you say cumulative, do you mean uh, your time? Like golf. The, like golf. Um, the combination yeah, so, of four runs. Yeah. So there's a total time of four runs. That, so you want to be like four minutes or like three fifty? Yeah, under, under three minutes. It'll be like yeah, three fifty. It depends on the track. Gotcha. But it actually happened. Uh, I've never seen it happen uh, before. But uh, at the Pyeongchang Olympics uh, this year. Uh, one of the American girls, uh, her last name is Sweeney. She um, Minnesota she broke probably. the track record. She broke the track record on the first run, and then she had a terrible coming out of nine, curve nine, which is a tough spot there. She just blew it, and that's it. She was out of it. Wow. So you break the track record on one track. So I feel like there's a big lesson in there. It's like a hole in one. You do a hole in one in the first hole, but then you blow it on hole 18. Hey, sorry. Right. You're not a you four putts in the <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. So, so I feel like there's probably a lesson you're mentioning about like the uh, consistency, right? And, yeah. and in life, certainly it's not just a one shot thing, you know, Hey, I made it once this worked. Uh, how has that worked out? What do you see like in, in companies in life when it comes to consistency? Well, when I, when I, uh, I was getting started losing the first two, it took me two years uh, before I ever had my first clean run, right? And a clean run means you didn't touch, you didn't hit any walls, right? Two years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I get to the bottom. And I, uh, I'm so happy. I told, told the coach, I had a clean run. And my coach, he's a, a four-time Olympian and a three-time world champion. Okay. So this wow. guy's like Michael Jordan. His standards are so higher than mine. Right. He doesn't even, you know, uh, uh, smile. Right. He says, Ruben, uh, uh, that's okay. But uh, good is not enough. You have to be consistently good. Okay. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, not even the best thing I ever got, best compliment I've gotten from coach is Ruben. That was not so bad. 
<laughs> it wasn't so bad. It's like, woohoo. Where was your coach from? Austria. 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 Okay. That, that kind of makes sense then, right? Yeah. Tough guy. But, uh, but that's what it takes. It's a higher standard, you know, Evander Holyfield, you know, same thing. He, you know, people were amazed that he could beat, he was a light heavyweight, remember? And mm-hmm. then he beat the heavyweight. When he moved up, everybody thought he was going to die. They're going to kill him, right? And he won. And then he kept winning. And, and somebody, uh, I think it might have been Greg. Greg asked him, uh, you know, what, what's the difference? He says, I hold myself to a higher standard. Wow. I do what the competition is not willing to do. Wow. Do that every day, right? I'm gonna make X amount of sales calls. I'm, I'm gonna, you know, make sure my copy's perfect. You know, you set high standards so you can shine. And if no one else cares about how high your standards are, you gotta care. Because if yeah. we walk around, if we walk around going to a standard of the people around us, like what happens when you're, um, you know, the smartest guy in the room, or you're the one who, say, you're an entrepreneur building your team, and you it's like it's your standard right and if everyone else that maybe their standards are 80 percent you're like well if i if i do that everyone will think i'm great but that's still not good enough because i only did oh, yeah. one clean run what the heck he's right. like Ruben, of course you should do a clean run everyone finally you started yeah that's why when you read uh, uh biographies of people like walt disney and, and uh, steve jobs yeah you know they, said they were tyrants they weren't tyrants they just had a high standard <laughs> sure they wanted done right I love that. And that's why association is so important. Who are you going to hang around with? Because you hang around with those 80 percenters before long, it's easy to go down, right? It's easy to, you know, well, I guess I don't have to get 100 every day. Maybe I can do 95 once in a while. <laughs> and uh, before long, it's that slippery slope, and then you're like everybody else. Right. Yeah, I ask you, uh, I was reading in, in, in the beginning part of the book, you were talking about um, – I think it just kind of goes along with this. You're talking about two types of courage, and I really, I really enjoyed that. So you said there was a courage to act. The courage to get started, right? To get started, yeah. And the courage to not quit, right? And the courage See, to not quit. No matter what your goal is in life. That's why I call the book The Courage to Succeed. It wasn't about my courage to succeed. It was about the courage to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. No matter what your goal is, fill in the blank, graduate from high school, salesman of the month, own my own business, pay off my house, uh, whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, Whatever your goal is, you got to have the courage to get started. Sooner or later, you got to stop talking about it and got to get out and do it. And then everything's tough at the beginning because you don't have any of the skills. It's new, right? It's like I'm learning to do this paragliding now, and it's it, it's crazy. It's it's exactly like like it felt learning how to luge. And when I learned how to uh, snowboard at 50, uh, but I knew going in, I knew it takes about seven years, seven seven uh, days, right? If you do it seven days in a row with snowboard. Uh, your brain figures it out. It's training your brain. That's what you're trying to do, right? And so to develop the muscle memory to do the right things. But okay, so now you started doing something, but you don't have any skills, so it's tough. And so you got to have the courage to endure, to stay in the game long enough to learn those skills. Mm -hmm. Well, courage to get started comes from believing it's possible, okay? And the courage to not quit comes from desire. If you want something badly enough, right? Uh, and, and by the way, the secret word in, in uh, Think and Grow Rich is desire. Because at the, at the opening, yes. I don't know if you remember, he, he says there's a secret word, but I'm going to tell you what it is, okay? You're going to have to figure it out. Well, next time you read it, you'll see desire everywhere, yeah. right? If yeah. you want it badly enough, you'll do whatever it takes, see? And so when I saw the Olympics at 10 years old, I had a lot of desire, but no belief. I didn't believe it was possible. I didn't do anything. It wasn't until I saw Scott Hamilton win the gold medal. I thought if he can do it, I can do it. 
belief. Now I got belief. I'm ready to take action. I already had the desire. Now I'm ready to go. And so when I for a group, that's I'm trying to get them belief because I know it's fear of the unknown and fear of failure are those two big things that are holding 90% of the people back. And right. so I want them walking out of my talk thinking, man, if that guy can go to the Olympics, we can do, I want to be there, Scott Hamilton. Right. And then two years later, it's so funny. There's like this gestation period. Two years later, I'll get these emails. Like I heard you speak you know, two years ago and I did this and I did that. I lost 50 pounds. I was like, Oh yeah, cool. That awesome. is so awesome. Do you run into, uh, so when you're talking with people, whether it's an individual, maybe after, after a talk for a company and they're coming up and, you know, saying thanks so much and all that kind of stuff. Do you, do you find that there's people that either have like one or the other courage? Because for me, I feel like, like in my life, one of the things that will just be super transparent, the thing that I, I struggle probably more is with the courage to endure. So I'll have in my brain something, uh, I probably have similar wiring in a way. Um, Entrepreneur, you're, you're a starter. You're an automatic I'm, starter. I'm a big time starter, right? I'm a mover, like, oh, that's an idea. It's a vision. I know it's possible. Let's do it. Yeah. But when it gets hard and I've had to train myself really hard over the last decade, you know, doing this business um, to really train myself with the enduring aspect where I'm like, hey, I got bored of this new thing I created six months in or a year and a half in, but I, I need to endure and keep that going. Do you have any advice for, for the starters in our community that have no problem with the fear, right? The belief, they believe it's possible, but man, yeah, sometimes yeah. I'm, I'm, some of my coaching clients, it's like, you know, I'm going, listen, like the only thing I need to coach you on is you need to stop changing things. Yeah. You just need to right. Stick with this thing that you know is good. Yeah, what would yeah. you tell someone like that? Like, what's that like? And it's thank God that at 12 years old, I made that decision, right? That, but otherwise I would have, I'm the same way. I get excited about something. I want to try it. And, um, and, and with marketing, right. When you know, I'm speaking, I'm trying all these constantly trying different things. And a lot of, I always reel it back after a while and realize, man, I got to go back to the basics. You know, the basics are the things that got me to where I am right now. Sure. Yeah. That, in fact, that's what we're doing now on the road to Beijing. My coaches are saying, Hey, uh, well, we're going to start from, from, you know, we're going to do tackling and passing and catching, you know, the basics, right. We're gonna, uh, the John Wooden stuff. Uh, because uh, mentally you're strong and we got to work on a few things here and there, but basically we got to work on your, on, on your basics. And right. so, so four time Olympian going back to T-ball level, right? Why? Right. Coach said so. <laughs> and coach knows. Well, and there's, there's something to, well, to I'm sorry. Can I answer your question? Cause I didn't even answer. Oh it. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you yeah. tell someone? If you, had a partner, with if, if you had a partner, you'd have to find somebody that's the manager type, right? Okay. You're the guy, he keeps it going. He's scared to get started, but he keeps it going, right? Those are the great partnerships. And uh, the Dick DeVos and Jay Van Andel that started Amway, right? Yes. Uh, Dick DeVos uh, was, uh, was the salesman, right? He was like you and me, right? And Jay Van Andel, he was the calm, steady guy that kept the books. And uh, Walt Disney, he was like you and me, right? But his brother Roy kept the books, right? Yes. He kept them. You got, you got to find that person. And, uh, and if you can't, at least... Find, find a coach, right? Uh, that will kind of keep you accountable. Gotcha. So, so if you, do, do you think, <laughs> how should I say this? To ha I feel like sometimes like I need to have those both courages inside me, right? Like I need to have both those, but I struggle often with feeling like maybe I'm not good enough because I only do the one, not the other. So all the, all the endurers look at the starters or the actors and go, Oh, 
like, you know, you're a dreamer and then, and then the dreamers or the actors, right? The people have no problems, not just a dreamer, but the people who start, they look at the, the people who only do enduring and, you know, a guy like your brother, maybe, right? That's a phenomenal man. Like, I mean, how amazing is that to like, know what you want to do, start doing it and then continue living that life. I'm, I'm nuts. Yeah, but you know? so I find myself, and this isn't fair, right? But this is this is the honest podcast. Um, I'll find myself sometimes looking at the endurer and going, "Oh, poor guy." Oh, right? like, how, how boring! Because for me, I want to like change, to, you know, new things. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah. Just those people, how, how they interact. Do you? But the world needs both. You know, absolutely. We need, you know, we need somebody to pick up the trash. We need, we need firefighters. We need police. We need teachers. We need everybody otherwise if they were all entrepreneurs we'd be in a big mess oh my gosh are you kidding me and and nothing there would be no stability anyway no it'd be crazy so So you'd say bring someone into your life who can help you with the other side of courage right so if you find yourself on one or the other bring in a coach a mentor a partner and you'll be knocking heads the whole time but you know that's what it takes yeah you probably marry one of those people maybe yeah 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 yeah, no, hey, my, my wife saved my life, and I love her so much. Uh, she is, she, in so many ways, a steady Eddie where, um, you know, especially early on when we were first dating, um, I didn't realize this, but a couple years in, once we got engaged and we got married, um, she was like, you know, it was always so hard for me when you wanted to, like, travel here, travel there, create this new thing. And I was like, okay. But once, once we got married, then, you know, the truth really came out for both of us, and I realized how much she grounds me and it has accountability and, and yeah. a lot of so much of our, our success in uh, we do, you know, in ministry work in, in, in the company, um, everything is because of my wife and because mm. she's the one who's this grounding and loving. Well, uh, they're, the, they're typically the, the, the people that the, that's keep civilization going, you know, they're the farmer mentality. Uh, we're more of the hunters, right? Yeah. Uh, the explorers, right? I mean, ADD, right? I'm super ADD. I'm capital ADD. Uh, <laughs> It's uh, that's some place, some ADD books call it the explorer gene, right? And, and they say that, you know, Christopher Columbus was probably that way because these people that just can't stand the status quo, I gotta go do something, right? Well, thank goodness that there was no Ritalin in Columbus's day. <laughs> yeah. I tell or you. Lewis and Clark, or, you know, I'm sure yeah. there's all sorts of stories coming out about all these different people, but right, like the people who but are you exploring need to settle it afterwards, right? I mean, yeah. you go. You do, you do. Otherwise, you still have a bunch of chaos. And like we were saying, if we were all entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, you, you've been obviously speaking, when did you start doing your like majorly, I guess not majorly, just when did you start speaking for the first time? Was it right after the Olympics? Cause I mean, you, you competed what at 25 years old for your first Olympics, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I sold copiers. I sold all kinds of stuff over the years. Uh, and, um, what, when did it hit you that you could actually speak on this subject rather than, well, I didn't, I'm a, believe it or not, I'm a shy guy. Okay. When I'm talking about <laughs> personal development and, luge and stuff like that i light up but usually i'm kind of uh you know focused on getting things done yeah and um and i'm not a big people person i'd rather be sitting down reading a book than i'm totally the the opposite of greg reed for example he's mm-hmm. such a people person and uh, oh my gosh uh you know he just totally changes the the, the room when he walks in right me i'm just kind of like the wallflower trying to make it around the the, the edges so so I didn't think I could be a speaker. I never thought about it. Uh, it was not a goal of mine. I never took a speech class in my life, all right? Uh, about a month before the Salt Lake City Olympics, 2002, that's 16 years ago, this little kid in my neighborhood, he says, uh, hey, Ruben, when you get back from the Olympics, will you be my show and tell project in school? 
And how, I thought, old, how old was this kid? Fifth grader, right? Oh, so good I, yeah, but I pictured show and tell when I was a kid. I thought, okay, you know, it's show and tell day. There's 20 kids in the classroom. They're all showing something off, right? So I'm going to be in in five minutes, right? I'm going to win show and tell. I'm finally going to get a gold medal in something. I took the sled, the helmet, the Olympic torch because I was a torch bearer. I wow. thought, no prisoners, right? I'm so pumped up. And I'm going to crush it in this fifth grade class. I'm going to crush it. That's right. I didn't even say that back then, but yeah. So, <laughs> but, um, I, uh, I walk into the school. The principal takes me to the auditorium. There's 200 kids sitting there. He says, you got 45 minutes. Have at them. See, they turned it into an assembly, but forgot to tell me. I thought I was going to die. Wow. I actually said the prayer. The, the, des- the desperation prayer. It's like, God, what do I do now? And what I felt I needed to do was just tell them your story and give them some pointers to help them reach their golden dreams. And I did. And afterwards, uh, the principal said, man, you're better than people we pay. You need to do this for a living. Uh, you got a gift. He's kind of shouting it at me, right? He's really in my face like a two by four. And he was so in my face that I thought about it for about three days. I thought, hey, I was just being myself out there. I'm just telling my story. I light up when I tell the story. And... Um, Maybe I can inspire some people to really go for it in life, right? Yeah. So three days later, I quit my job. I figured if I can sell a copying machine, I can sell a Reuben too. And I you started quit your job off. three days later. Yeah, yeah. My wife is not very happy that day. Okay? To start selling Reubens. Sell Reubens instead of copying machine. And I didn't know a thing about this, this business. So I just started calling all the schools in Houston. Called the principal, the president of the PTA, the counselor. Uh, follow up with faxes, emails. I was getting booked everywhere because I didn't know what to charge. I'm charging 500 bucks. I was getting, and I was making more money than I made selling copiers. So in the February 2002, I'm at the Olympics, top of the world. March, April, May, man, living the dream. Got my own business. This is awesome. I yeah. forgot that the summer's going to be a little slow, right? <laughs> Schooled out. Oh, right. And you're, <laughs> yeah. so you started off doing all school speaking pretty much, right? Because that's all, yeah, that's all I knew. And I didn't even think about the companies. The summer were on food stamps. Three, three months behind our house payment, shot our credit, top of the world in February, totally humbled in August, right? And I realized, oh my gosh, I tell everybody to find a coach or a mentor, I'm not even taking my own advice. And I found out uh, there's this thing called National Speakers Association. They had a chapter in Houston. I met a guy that had, out of the 50, it's funny, out of the 50 people there, there was only two that were making it happen. The other ones were eternal learners, right? Wow. Uh, but the one guy who had been a salesman of the year for the whole United States and Xerox, and he became a speaker. Uh, he taught me the ropes. And the first thing he told me was, unless you write a book, no one's going to take you seriously. And, and I told him, I can't write a book. I made C's in English. He said, you got a great story. You write it down. We'll give it to some A students. They clean it up. I thought, that's awesome. <laughs> I didn't think about that. He goes, yeah, it's called editing. So shut up and sit down. Yeah. It's look, cool. you get a C in English and you can write a book. At, like, if, if you can be a bench warmer and go to the Olympics... Can you believe it? Yeah, bench warmer goes to the Olympic. Shy guy makes his living speaking, and and big groups. I mean, I shared the stage with Zig Ziglar to thousands of people about twenty five times over the years. I want um, to ask you about that too. How how did? So I'm you know I, I uh, the, our preacher said something really good a couple of weeks ago. I'm not, I'm totally messing it up now, but he said <laughs> God doesn't equip the called. I mean, I, he doesn't call the equipped. He the equips equipped. the called. That's right. If you have that dream, you, you got what it takes. It's wow. going to be tough. You're going to have to struggle. You're going to fall down, but you're going to dig deep inside. And if you do, and if you don't quit, you're going to find those God-given gifts, and then you can use them to reach the dream. And it's not about the dream. It's about the person you become, because then you can help other people. 
right? Mm. Which is really what a good story is about is is about the the hero who becomes who he needs to become along the journey. He comes back and and tells everybody, come on, it's okay. You know, yeah, Yeah. they're not giants, they're grasshoppers, whatever. And so, (laughs) So how long did you do school speaking for? So for about a year and a half. And then I realized, man, I I can't go through another summer like this. And so I started calling corporations and being in sales, right? Uh, uh, I knew that there's always another sales meeting every Monday morning. So I started calling corporations, calling, trying to call a sales manager. And, um, and, it, and it worked, you know, slowly, right? Slowly. Uh, and slowly you're, you're building up your fee and you're putting your name out there and it starts growing, growing, growing. And uh, gosh, now, you know, I'm in a great place now. That, that kid changed my life. But I'm still marketing all the time. I mean, I was, uh, I was up, it's not always like this, but I was up at five o'clock this morning, totally redoing my no- newsletter. Uh, and finally got through with that. And now I'm working on the next, the, the next project, right? I love that, which is probably a good place for a quick plug. So if you want to grab Ruben's newsletter, you go to yeah. rubentips.com, right? Yeah, Ruben, R-U-B-E-N, because there's like 12 ways to spell my name. <laughs> and tips, T-I-P-S, uh, dot com. And there's, uh, there's some articles there. You can check them out. You, you, know, you can see if you like my stuff first, right? You got to kiss before you get, you know, Google. Well, let's be serious. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you like the stuff, sign up for the newsletter and every two weeks you'll get a a cool, you know, it's got video and it's got a a cool article and uh, if you like it, spread the word, right? If you don't like it, then uh, hit unsubscribe and you're out of there. Yeah, no, that's great. And I I definitely check out Ruben's site. I I love, uh, I was just spending some time around there this week and I love, uh, you know, some of the videos you have on there. You have some great articles. Hmm. Um, You obviously get a hold of a a hold of the books. Like again, so they're on Kindle, on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble, wherever you get books. But I love the courage to succeed is again, all your books are great, but that one in particular, I really enjoy because of, because of the stories. Yeah, uh, I don't want to come yeah, back. Get it from Amazon. I'm I'm all out of the courage to succeed. I need to print some more. But uh, so if you yeah. want to order that, just get it from Amazon. Well, I, uh, I got yeah, I, yeah, I got it. Nine 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 is on my Kindle. I'm good to go. It's right that there. Works. That works. That works. Yeah. And I got it right um, away. One click. Yeah, yeah. Selling yeah. electrons, man. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> how does um how how did training for the Olympics change from like so you're going to your first Olympics at 25, training at 21 to 47 to the recent, right? Like, how does that change over the course of 20 plus years uh, doing Olympics training for Olympics? Is there, is, is there a, a speed change? And, and not speed as far as like going downhill, but speed of like how amped you are about it, how you approach it. Um, what, what's the attitude difference, if anything? That's a good question. I, most luge guys, they start when they're 10 years old. It takes a long time to get good. Oh, my gosh. Okay? It's a very, very technical sport. It's the only sport measured to the one one thousandth of a, of a second. Not even the 100-yard dash is measured to that. It's, it's one one hundredth. What's the difference between, uh, say, like first and second place often or second and third? I think uh, not, not a second. The last guy that got, sec- got silver, he missed gold by – I think he missed it by one one hundredth. One one hundredth of a second. Oh, it might, yeah, yeah, nothing. Wow. But it's consistent. That's the wild thing. You give me the start list and I can tell you, you know, nine times out of 10, this is going to be the, uh, the, the, the order, right? Because everybody's wow. thinking, they're, they're trying to figure out the track, right? It's, so you always hear about biathlon, you know, where they ski, ski and, they, and they shoot, right? Yeah. They always talk about how, oh, you have to control your heart rate, right? You have to be calm with the shoot and, 
and you know you're going 90 miles an hour when you well, lose just the same way you should never talk about it at the start it's a very very powerful uh, motion and and you're paddling as hard as you can because uh, your speed coming into uh, curve one right okay. uh, a difference of speed of one mile an hour will make a big difference overall but then as soon as you lay down you have to be super calm and relaxed because that now you're a formula one driver is who can drive the best lines by staying relaxed. If I hold my breath, if I drive the same lines, but I hold my breath the whole way down, which is easy to do when you're scared half to death, <laughs> I'm automatically a half a second slower. Why? Because you're tight and your reaction time's slower, so you're going to make mistakes. Really? So they half, teach us half that. a second ends up being what two seconds over the the four. Oh well, yeah, so it's yeah, you're out. Uh, it, you're um, out. They teach us to exhale at the entrance and exit of every curve to help you relax. Wow. And yeah, so uh, sleds are getting faster, right? The difference that I'm seeing now, I had a, when I, when I went back in, in this past winter, my sleds, like 25-year-old sled, and they were laughing. I said, that thing belongs in a museum, man. There's no way. And in order to qualify for this World Cup race, because you take five qualifying runs, you have to be within 5% of the fastest time that run, mm -hmm. uh, on at least one of those runs. But you do that, you get to race. Yeah. Well, on one of the, I was having to break my personal best by two tenths of a second because sleds have gotten faster in the last few years. Yeah. And I'm going on an old sled. They were laughing. I said, man, it's, uh, and I did it. I did it about four one hundredths of a second on one of the runs and I got to race. Wow. And so, uh, so, so I got to get a new sled, right? It's going to be faster. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a given. And, and I'm working on flexibility. So my starts can be better. And, uh, I'm actually, one thing that's changed for me is that uh, I'm actually listening to the coaches now uh, mm. and, and applying right away, right? I'm not thinking about it. Well, I'll try it if this, I'll try it. No, whatever they say is gospel. It's like, I will do it. And now another thing that they're saying that I, they say, man, you're, yeah, you've gotten coachable all of a sudden. That's, oh, wow. You, you apply right away and it's showing, right? You're improved. You're, you're not stuck in that plateau. But now you have to start trusting yourself, Ruben. That's, uh, that's your next hurdle, right? Because sometimes, like in Calgary, there's this coming out of curve, uh, curve eight, there's this long straightaway that's about, uh, about 100 yards long. And, and, and it leans, okay? It's got a slight lean, and it has a crosswind. So the wind hits this wall, comes in, and, and by the end of the straightaway, it's, it's, it's pushing you to the left, and a lot of times you hit that wall. And so wow. the whole time you have to be steering softly just to stay straight. And even when I was coming out of eight, it's stressful for me. It's a stressful spot. And coming out, you know, a lot of times they'll say, man, you came out just right, but then you got tight and, 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 and got this little shimmy and that set you into a skid. You just trust yourself, Ruben. You're coming out fine. Just, just relax. Just relax, Ruben. That's what I hear from coach all the time. Just relax. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, just yeah. relax. Um, you, uh, so trust yourself. I mean, I read that in <clears throat> Tiger Woods, one of his biographies. You know, that's what he says to himself before before every putt. Trust yourself. Trust, trust yourself. yourself. Because he knows that he knows how to put it in. Yeah. So you you have to let Tiger do his thing and not let all those fears interfere. Just trust yourself, Tiger. Mm, trust yourself, that. Bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to stick with it. So one of the biggest things is becoming more coachable and then focusing on trusting yourself. You have a, a part in your book. Um, I really love the story. It was, it was talking about uh, making your own luck. And it was the time you went over to yeah. St. Maurice, Switzerland, and you found yourself in a spot where they had uh, double sleds. And I never heard of this. I didn't know this was a thing. So it was a double luge where two people are going on the same sled. 
Yeah, that's an Olympic sport too. Uh, and it's an Olympic sport. And you've yeah. never, have never, you done, never done that? that? Or have you tried it once, but like that's No, no, I've never thing. done it. And it's, you know. You've uh, never done it. Two guys on a sled and they're each doing half of the driving, but only the top guy can see. Right. right? And so the top guy's giving the bottom guy shoulder signals to tell him to steer. And they better steer in concert or else they're going to crash. And they, you got a higher center of gravity. If you're laid out of a curve, pow, man, you're going to pancake. I mean, if you get loose tickets for the next Olympics, get the doubles. That's where the action is. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where stuff goes down. So I've never done it. Yeah. And so we went to St. Moritz and uh, it was like a boycott. There's usually 20 or 30 doubles sled in a race. There's only three. And so I went to my best buddy uh, back then, uh, Pablo, Pablo Garcia from Spain. Mm -hmm. And I told him, you see that? You know, there's only three sleds that sign up for the doubles. Uh, you know, we got to find a double sled and join this race. If somebody crashes, we got a medal, right? This is our so chance. You, so you don't, yeah, because you can win what the World Cup, right? Yeah. It was a World Cup race. I mean, it's a major deal. It's like if it was a Formula One race, nobody showed up. So I thought, man, this is our chance because we're, we're not in the medals area. We're, we're, man, we're scratching and clawing for one of the bottom spots to get to the Olympics, right? We just want to play with the big boys. That's what we want to do. Yeah. And so, so you have no double sled. You're not a double, a double loser. No, we're in Switzerland. They speak German there. Neither of us speaks German. We went, uh, they don't like losers there. It's a bobsled country, right? Uh, and so we spent three, we went to the German uh, team to get a quick lesson. We should learn, do you have a double sled for the World Cup race? That's all. And it took us you about learned that hours. in German. Yeah, we took us four hours to learn it because Spanish lives, they don't do German. <laughs> so, and how did you go about finding? So, I mean, because you, you we started, we started knocking on doors around the track, you know, houses around there. Uh, you know, haven't seen a double sitter sitting for the cup, Ren. Slam, loser. <laughs> Total rejection. Get out of here, loser. Go calling in, in, in enemy territory in German. Wow. And found this guy had a 20-year-old rusted sled. He goes, oh, you do luge. Oh, so did I. You know what? Uh, come have dinner with us. No, can we just borrow your sled? He goes, yes, of course. He lends it to it. It's got rust everywhere. We took all the rust off, got it race ready, signed up for the race. All the guys from the singles teams, the men, the ladies, because uh, they showed up. I mean, for some reason, I've never seen it happen again. Yeah. Uh, all the singles of men and women, they lined the whole track when Pablo and I slid. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't out of respect. They had their cameras and they, they just want to get a good picture of the wreck. Wow. <laughs> we almost killed ourselves. We got fourth place. Uh, we're down at the medal ceremonies and just watching. And the organizer said, hey, you two get, get down there. We walked on the ground in front of first place and they gave us fourth place medals. I mean, I've never seen that either got our pictures wow. in the paper. They call us the exotics. And, uh, and then uh, the coolest thing is we earned so many World Cup points for a fourth-place finish that at the end of the whole season, we're ranked 14th in the world in the doubles. We didn't know what we're doing. Wow, and you've never <laughs> even done that before. Yeah. You know, the next week we're in uh, Innsbruck, uh, Austria, just next uh -huh. door, for another World Cup. And one of the guys from the French team, he, he walks up to me with his little – French attitude. He goes, yeah. Hey, Ruben, I hear what you and Pablo do. You two were lucky. I said, Lucky? We weren't lucky. We saw an opportunity. We took advantage of it. And he pauses and starts, We made our own luck. Yeah. He says, Yes, I think you did. And he walks off. <laughs> but that's, you know, windows of opportunity. You know, they open and they close. Yeah. So leaders make quick decisions. Wow. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, um, think and grow rich, right? Success yeah. two things, make lots of decisions and make them quickly. Yeah. Finding a double luge. Um, man, that, that is, uh, that is just such a, such a fun story too. 
So I, I do want to, um, as we're coming kind of to the twilight of, of our time, um, I do want to ask you, um, speaking on stage with Zig Ziglar, speaking to the hundred companies, um, is there a difference between speaking to say like a boardroom versus to an arena? Cause you've, you've spoken for, what's the largest crowd you've, you've spoken? Uh, 7,500 in, in Tokyo. It's uh, incredible. A million dollar round table, which is, you have to sell a lot of insurance to be in this club. They were having their annual convention. Wow. 7,500 people who are yeah. huge earners. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the first six times that I did the, uh, the arenas with Zig, um, I was thrown off because I, I, I feed off the audience, right? I always want full house lights when I'm speaking in a group. Yeah. I can see, right? I see somebody nodding, smiling. I mean, I just, it's great, right? And the first six times I did them with Zig, and these were two to 5,000 people every time, uh, you have these giant lights and it's just black out there and, you, and I couldn't see anybody and I just, I was, I was off, right? I was one on my game. And then one time, I guess it must have been right before the seventh time, I'm watching him. I'm going to go right after him, right? Following Zig. How, how, how do I do that? <laughs> I can't imagine the nerves following him. Oh, no. And, and I'm watching him, and, and I realize that, oh, my gosh, he's spending 75% of the time looking at the people in the front five rows because you could see those, right? Yes. And then, and then he'll look up there to that black hole and over here to this black hole and this one over here. So everybody feels included. But yes. he's feeding off of these guys. And I thought, so that's how you do it. And I went out after him. I started doing it. I thought, piece of cake, man. Give me a million. You can't see him, right? No no different. You just stare out. Hey, yeah. hey, how are you? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Whenever I do a big one like that, um, I, I walk across. If I can, I'll walk across the front row. Like if it's a ballroom with you know, 1,500 people, I just walk around the front. I'll just say hello to everybody. Say, hey. You know, just quick, or hey, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm speaking for you guys in a few minutes. I, I got a crazy Olympic story. We're gonna have a great time. Thanks for having me. Oh wow, thanks for coming. And so I'm making friendlies all around across that front row, right? That's great. So I have a bunch of smiles there, right? If the if it's a bad audience, because that helps. That helps, right? It, it helps does. you get through to it. And when I, as I'm walking up to the stage, I always say to myself, "We're gonna have a good time." I'm going to have a good time. If they want to have a good time, that's their decision. But I'm going to come with you. But that puts me in that, into that state of, and I always start with the same phrase, right? So six seconds into the talk, I'm already in my groove. And mm. it's flowing, baby. What, what, what phrase do you start with? Can you share that? People always ask me. That's it. Why would anyone in the right mind want to haul, jump on a sled and hurl himself down an icy mountain at 80, 90 miles an hour? <laughs> Let me tell you. That's and so good. People, people always ask me. Yeah. What a great way to start a speech, too. Um, Ruben, yeah, you got to start with a question, something like that. Not thanks for having me. I love you. That's so lame. Don't do that. Right. Yeah. I'll tell you, this is, this has been uh, an incredible time um, as we're, we're running a little bit short on, on, on the time that's left, but this has been so much fun. Would you be open to maybe doing a part two at some point where we just get into just like speaking and, and keynote work and, and just kind of that entire journey as well? Cause a lot Absolutely. of the people on this podcast are, uh, or in that same space or coaches or entrepreneurs. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Anytime, anytime. You may, uh, you may have to remind me, but uh, we'll, we'll do it. Hey, yeah, I, I, I love that. As long as, there, as long as there's an invite there. Um, last thing I want to ask you about is your paramotoring. So this is, you're getting into kind of a new sport. And yeah. the closest I experienced was, I remember one of my first uh, private clients was John McAfee, who founded McAfee Antivirus. And, you know, he's, he's oh, cool. Yeah, really interesting, interesting character for certain. He's got a new, there's a Netflix documentary that uh, 
it's been a, a wild recent years with him, but this was, I mean, 11 years ago and he had just moved to New Mexico at the time and literally had like a hang, had hangers built and he was getting into aero trekking. And so yeah. aero trekking is real similar. This was like, you have a hang glider basically on a motorcycle. And oh, so wow. it looks like a motorcycle. You got the, the fan engine in the back behind you and yeah. then you can just go and take off. So he, he flew me out to his spot, uh, out to the house in New Mexico. I'm teaching him NLP and I'm teaching him all like the stuff I do. And yeah. he took me up in the air a couple of times, started teaching me oh, this girl cool. trekking thing. I thought, man, like dangerous. I don't think it's even allowed anymore or something. Is <laughs> what's, so I, I fell in love with the idea of being able to, you, you can hang glide down, but then you pop right back up, right? Because you got the engine, you can do, sure, these sure. guys go through canyons. I didn't do that, yeah. but you know, crazy. What's paramotoring like and how did you find it? We had a guy from our church, uh, just talking to him, and he figured out that I was a pilot and or that I had planes because he was looking at some pictures in my office. Was, That's right, I'm a private pilot. pilot. Yeah, I'm a private pilot, about 150, but I haven't done it in forever because, uh, you know, uh, all the money went to the luge. And, um, and so, anyways, I always wanted to get back into it, but it's, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. And no. so, and I don't want to deal with airports. I want to, I want to get a short takeoff and land plane to take off from my backyard. We're on some acreage here mm -hmm. and not deal with airports. It's called a Sky Jeep, uh, Google Sky Jeep. That is a cool plane. But anyways, uh, so we get to talking. Turns out this guy's a commercial pilot and um, he, he says, oh, well, this is what I do. Why don't you come, come see us? And I went and it's really cool. I mean, it's these little skinny, you've seen them, the little skinny uh parachute right that yeah uh, and the guy's got a, a a fan on his back and you're either running and you know and, and, and climb into the wind yeah. and uh or they can put him on a trike right a little uh, just a little go-kart basically and yep. and, oh. and uh and you gotta you gotta parachute so you know it's safe right uh, the hardest part is the takeoff it's the opposite of regular flight i mean and if, if you went and got your private pilot's license you're taking off from the first day all you have to do is reach you know uh, 55 miles an hour on a, a on a 152 you pull back the stick it just it just floats up like here wow. you're here's totally hard and so uh so i'm kiting at this point which is basically just just uh uh lifting up that 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 parachute into the wind and trying to control it with all the lines to to know that you can take off with a yeah. 50 uh, 80 pound motor on your back and so uh you you have to go take lessons for this stuff obviously uh so i'm just in the baby steps but just figuring out that that uh you know how to deal with that wind and that wing is uh it's, it's crazy Oh my gosh. Well, I can't wait to, uh, to follow you, get some, get some pictures, some video. Maybe I want to see how that goes. Uh, that sounds very, very exciting. Um, I love, it's you know, it, it sounds awesome. So I just met, I met a guy just recently, um, named Gabriel. He's, uh, um, uh, one, one of my JV partners, uh, like a fiance and he does like paragliding off of mountains. And I'm a big client. Like I, I love climbing one of my yes. goals the next year is to, I think, I think I'm going to be one of the first, if not the first, I can't find any records for this to go um, from the lowest to the highest in the United States, the contiguous United States from Badwater, Death Valley to the peak of Mount Whitney with three disciplines of biking, hiking, and then, and then vertical climbing. So we're going to hit, like, I've done Whitney oh, and so vertical climbing. You're going to start, in, you're gonna start, start in, 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 what's it called? Uh, in Badwater and Death Valley. Yeah. 
and you're gonna you're gonna traverse the whole continent all the way to the top of no one's done that that's awesome no that's, well, a, book. It, that's a movie I think it's well. It, it, the crazy thing is, people have done it. Uh, there's races because it's not that far. It's 134 miles. So, oh. so, yeah. So the Mojave Desert in California to the Sierra Nevada, it's like right there next to each other. But so people have done it on biking and hiking, or people have done it as a as a race, right? Just all running ultra marathons. Mm-hmm. But I can't find anyone who's done a bike and then hiked to the mountain and then climbed the last, you know, the the vertical face of Mount Whitney at the at the end. So yeah. I'm training for that coming up in the next That's year. Cool. Yeah. Super stoked. So I'm connected with this guy and he said he's been climbing mountains. So he'll go to the top of whatever, uh, um, like we're in Southern California. So there's like San Jacinto or San Gregorio mountain. San Gregorio is the highest in Southern California. So he'll go to the top of that, like hike up to the top and then get the hang gliding stuff and then straight go all the way down into the Palm Springs Valley. So it's like a 40 minute ride and I'm, I'm salivating going like, cause I'm, I'm not a daredevil, yeah. but but dang, that sounds like a lot of fun. So you got yeah. me like really, you got me thinking you're getting into this well, paramotor. And I go, man, I. Yeah, the, the, the motor is better though, okay? Uh, and I was talking to some of that. Look, it, it, we're more like engineer brains. They're very, very calm, very meticulous uh-huh. people. They're not, it's not a thrill seeker sport, believe it or not. Yeah. Says that, those are the guys that do uh, parachuting, you know, and skydiving on the other end of the spectrum. But these guys are very, and, and when you read, it's funny, I go back to all these biographies. So yeah. I actually read these biographies, okay? Chuck Yeager. You know, Chuck Yeager, he was an engineer, basically. Yeah. Uh, these uh, test pilots, uh, they're not there to do loop-de-loops. They're there to figure out, okay, you know, uh, take notes and figure out, you know, where, where the outer edge of the envelope is and what can this plane do? Well, you have sure. to be able to analyze it, and I just go out there and do crazy stuff. Man. And he didn't even like roller coasters. He says, no, I like being in control. I feel out of control. In the, in the, I can't do anything about this roller coaster if it goes the wrong way. Yeah. Crazy. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> well, Ruben, it, it, is, uh, it, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, la- the final question for today. Um, 2022 Olympics. Is it your last Olympics? Well, or, I don't know. I don't know. Or <laughs> might, no. might we see you in 2026? I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, you know, I've had my last Olympics three times already. <laughs> I'm like the boxers that just can't stop because it, it, it's a thrill, you know. It's a you you're in the world's largest arena, and it's such a thrill that it makes real life after that uh, seem like black and white, you know. Right. So, after about seven years of black and white, I I I reach this point. I just can't take it anymore. I got to do something, and uh, so we'll see. So maybe after you break it's your funny, record, I joke in my talk, you know, hey, when at the opening ceremonies of uh, Beijing, you know, if you see a, uh, a guy walking with a walker, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you can get yourself to your sled, right? You're good you can to get Geritol and, uh, you know, yeah, they say, hey, are you going to win? Q&A's after the talk. Are you, are you going to win the gold medal? I tell them, man, I just want to make the cover of AARP. I'll be happy with that. Oh, that's phenomenal. Ruben, it was a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for uh, taking your time out of your, out of your schedule to spend some time with us. Um, Looking forward to a part two and we'll get into um, straight into like the keynote speaking world and and some business practices because you not only are are, uh, uh, amazingly successful Olympian, uh, a brilliant, brilliant guy, uh, adrenaline junkie, a private pilot, all these things you're doing, um, but you're also the business that you've created around authoring and keynote speaking is something that uh, me included, a ton of us look up to and think, man, I want to figure out how you've done that. So uh, be real grateful for, for some time on that as well. I think everyone would really enjoy it. Sounds good. Hey, thanks. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks, cool. thanks, Ruben. Thanks.
My thanks to Ruben. Man, what a a, a tremendous person. Uh, I couldn't. I, I love that interview. I couldn't help but just feel lifted up. You know, like I'm I'm, I'm sitting there. And we're on Zoom, but his energy was just coming through the camera. It was coming across at me. And for, for a lot of moments during that interview, I felt like. I was sitting in a Fortune 500 company, uh, you know, retreat, and and he was talking to us and and sharing the wisdom. So um, this won't be the end of my time with Ruben. Um, tr- and can I also say this? After the interview, you know, he emailed me a couple of times. One of them was he sent me resources that we had chatted about offline, um, you know, books and a couple other things. And he said, hey, here's those things I talked about. So he's a guy that follows through, which I thought was amazing. Because not everybody does that. Sometimes they forget about you. The next thing he did is he sent another email saying, hey, make sure you let me know when this podcast goes live. I want to make sure to promote it and get behind it. Um, love what you're doing. And I just thought, again, what an encouraging person. And the more we can surround ourselves with people who are going to be encouraging, building, uplifting, all around, the better we're going to do and the easier success is going to come. So thanks again to Ruben. What an amazing dude. Make sure you look up Ruben again. Um, Ruben Gonzalez. You can find him, of course, uh, the link, uh, his website and everything is in the show notes. So just click on there and you'll see him pretty easily. Um, what else do I want to say about Ruben Gonzalez? His website is ruben-gonzalez.com and you can find out more about his story, uh, booking him to speak, uh, a ton of videos about his keynotes. He also does team teamwork workshops. Um, he's got resources even if you're a meeting planner. Right, to have, you're putting on events and, and promotions. He's got resources for you, so a, a ton of great leadership and motivational topics that Ruben talks about. His main thing: he does not do platform sales speaking like some uh, a lot of other speakers, like I do. Uh, he does keynote speaking. So if you're looking to hire an amazing, powerful keynote speaker for a conference, he's your guy. Look no further. Four-time Olympian Ruben Gonzalez. All right, that wraps it up for the week. Happy, happy Friday, or whenever it is you're listening to this or watching this. Um, have a, a, a blessed weekend. Remember, the reason we're putting Ruben on uh, during this little time, that we're still in the lead-up to the Firebox Principle book release. The official release is slotted for next week, July 13th, and it should go on pre-release on Amazon in a couple of days around the 11th or 12th. So check back. Of course, I'll send an email. I'll probably do a special pod, um, just a quick five minute to let you know exactly when it's live so it's going to go on pre-release first around the 11th um, don't quote me on that but it's, we're, we're working hard day in day out uh, every day every night to get this finished uh, and now that will again be the ebook release only on amazon and we're shooting of course to do an amazon bestseller campaign on july 13th next friday um, once it so if you can pick it up from amazon sometime between pre-release and the 13th Gosh, that would be so awesome. I'm going to have a special, special price for pre-release price. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but when you see it, you're going to freak. It is awesome. So there will be a special pre-release price. If you decide to get it, if you can, I would sure appreciate to go back to Amazon and leave a review. If you can leave a review on Amazon, that's going to change the entire landscape for me. and It's going to help to really bump up the book in the ratings and how it shows up. So um, if you could do me that solid, if, if you do decide that you like the book, um, leave a rating. That would be awesome. And then uh, by the time the hardback releases, we are going to be doing the, the brand new Firebox quiz in conjunction with the hardback book. And that will be about five weeks later uh, or one month later. Let's keep it simple. One month. We're shooting for August 13th. 
That's not a hard date yet, but we're shooting for August 13th for the hardcover book. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Nice and small. Uh, not too small, but just small enough you can read it. You can fit in your hands. Nice hardcover with a dust jacket. Um, re- like We're really, really going for just a, a, a top quality um, top quality printing, top quality content. Um, I, I'm excited. I cannot wait for you to uh, to get this into your hands. It's going to be awesome. So that's coming out August 13th. And along with that will be the Firebox quiz available at fireboxbook.com. And that's where you can go and find out what your primary and secondary drives are. And, and you can really get how these interact in your own life. Uh, So that's it for me this week. Again, have a blessed uh, weekend. Enjoy yourself. And I will see you next week with our next few drives. We're going to try to hit two or three drives on the the, uh, Tuesday episode. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.